Probably wondering why I chose to show a Wendy's commercial at church today. My wife says, I hope you had a good way of tying this together because that's not scriptural. I'm like, just watch this. No. <clears throat> so I want to start a new series today, and it's very uh, relevant to the time that we're in, not just as followers of Christ, but these young people that we just celebrated as they begin the next chapter in life. And uh, this Where's the Beef kept coming to my mind over the last couple of weeks as I was looking at um, this topic of the Holy Spirit. Where's the, where's the beef? This little commercial came out in 84. I was about 13, maybe 14 when it came out. And this little um, four-foot-nothing lady, Russian-born American lady, became famous overnight for those three words. Where's the beef, you know? And the idea was, you know, you're going to sell a hamburger, it has to be a hamburger. It's got to have the meat on it. And so Wendy's did a great job at, um, at showing, hey, we're different than the rest of them. We got more meat. And so their sales went up like 31% after this commercial aired. And that, that campaign went on and on for a long, long time. And we love that little old lady, where's the beef? So this phrase then carried on. Um, for several years, and it became an all-purpose phrase, questioning the substance of an idea, an event, or a product. Now think about that when she says, where's the beef? It's questioning the substance of an idea, uh, an event, or a product. And so we might use that term today when we say, someone says, hey, I've got a vehicle that's got 500 horsepower. It'll outrun anything that anyone puts against it. And so you go to the racetrack, and you line up, and you get skunked. Someone might say, where's the beef? You know, you're making a big claim. Where's the, we're, we're going to back it up, right? Or if someone says, I can outlift anyone at the gym. You go to the gym and you can barely get the bar off of the rack. And someone might look at you and say, you talked a big game, but where's the beef? As we consider this phrase, where's the beef? I want us to consider for a moment the early church. So the early church was crazy, like powerful. There was something significant that happened on the day of Pentecost. And following, we see a great transformation of a group of individuals, the disciples, who were fearful before the resurrection. After the resurrection, the Holy Spirit came. We saw a radical change in all of their lives. Um, and there's no doubt that something happened in the early Testament church. And so fast forward 2,000 years, the same God, uh, the same Holy Spirit that indwells believers, the same gospel that we all believe in, that they believed in. And you got to ask yourself the question, what's the problem? What's going on? Because as we look at all of Christendom today, I think we can all agree that there's something that's a little bit out of whack. Amen? And you get a lot of people that say, hey, I'm a Christian. And then another one, I'm a Christian and I'm a Christian. But we can't agree on some of the most basic tenets of faith in the word of God. And we're doing things that are completely contrary to what the word of God teaches us. We're tempted to just say to each other, oh, you guys did terrible compared to the first. They were on, man. They were like ready. So where's the beef? It's questioning the substance of an idea. We say that the Holy Spirit lives in us. We say that we are followers of Christ. And the world looking at the church today might be tempted to say, hey, where's the proof that something is in you, right? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out our world's jacked up right now. We're so divided. There's so much tension. There's so much hate. And all this stuff is floating around, and the church is still here. And so I, I, just felt in, I just felt compelled to kind of revisit the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. That is what the Scriptures teach us about the role, the person, and the effects of the Holy Spirit. So let me give a disclaimer real quick, because when you hear uh, the subject of the Holy Spirit come up, there's usually two camps. 
Um, and one of the camps is the one that I was raised in. Some of you know this, some of you do not know, but I was raised in a full gospel, charismatic, hyper-charismatic kind of a background in church. And so when you bring up the term the Holy Spirit, it got just goofy in my background. Um, we did things in the name of the Holy Spirit all the time that I couldn't line up with Scripture. I mean, it's just what we did. Um, and so when you say the Holy Spirit, there were people laughing in the Spirit, wailing in the Spirit, barking in the Spirit, falling out in the Holy Ghost. In fact, it got so weird that we didn't want to invite friends to church because they wouldn't come back, right? And so the preacher's like, you need to invite somebody to church. And I'm like, mm, because I know it's going to get goofy. And when it gets goofy, my friends are going to leave and they're never going to come home. And so I just like, I started jokingly praying that the Holy Spirit wouldn't show up. Because when the Holy Spirit showed up, things got crazy. I would pray, please, God, don't let Grandma fall out. Please don't let Grandma fall out. Poof, there goes Grandma. And my friends are like over there with these huge eyeballs like, what is that? And that's one camp. Now, I don't want to limit God because God can do anything he wants to do. But it seems like there's a bunch of people that get real excited about the emotionalism, the sensationalism, the feels, the goosebumps. When you say Holy Spirit, this is not what this series is about. Okay? But the other camp is one on the far other end of the spectrum that says, hey, we're so worried that we're going to be identified as some of the crazies over there, you know, the ones hanging from the chandeliers, the crazy maddox, that we don't even want to talk about the Holy Spirit. And I believe that is a very serious error on our part. The reality is we need the Holy Spirit. We need his presence, his guidance in our life. And I believe that we miss out on so much in our walk with Christ because of our neglect of the Holy Spirit. And so for the next few weeks, I would like to focus on who the Holy Spirit is, what he does. And today specifically, I want to just introduce this idea to you to consider the Holy Spirit, your new best friend. Anybody got a best friend? Best friends are special, aren't they? A best friend is somebody that is just close to you. They know everything about you. You can talk about anything. You can be gone from each other for a long time and pick right back up where you left off. On this earth, I've always said my best friend is sitting right there, and she's a pretty one. That's my best friend in this world. But I've considered myself like, you know what? I need to move her to the number two slot. I need the Holy Spirit to be my best friend. Here's why. Because if the Holy Spirit is my best friend, guess what he's going to do? He's going to make me a better husband. Amen? He's going to make me a better father. He's going to make me a better pastor. He's going to make me a better leader of people. And so I want you to just kind of embrace this idea of the Holy Spirit as your best friend. And I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. Leave your traditions, those things that you've grown up in, kind of on the shelf. Don't rely on the traditions that were taught to us. There were things that were taught by good-meaning pastors that I picked up along the way. And we just did it because it's what we always did in church. In fact, I remember just not too terribly long ago, I, made, um, I was in a visit with another pastor from my past, and I just said, hey, listen, during my childhood, we saw this every Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, and it's nowhere near, I, there, there's nothing to be found in scriptures about that. Can you justify, can you tell me where that comes from? And they, they didn't answer me. And, and so I'm just like looking at it going, man, I, traditionally, I think that we've embraced some ideas and, and I want to just leave that there and be willing to say, what does the scriptures say? How many know that's where the truth's at? What does the scriptures say? And have an open heart and an open mind to what God might reveal to us about this third person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, our best friend. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would open our hearts, open our minds to the truth of your word, your Holy Spirit. Lord, we need your influence. We need your guidance. We need to see the transforming power that you and only you can bring in our lives when we yield to you. Lord, would you just please give us a desire 
to just take a fresh look at your Holy Spirit. And may he transform our lives. And I humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's begin with the Holy Spirit. It or who? Um, I think that there's some archaic language we've used before, like who is the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And when we say that, you think of a ghost. And because it's not personal or tangible, we say, when we speak of the Holy Spirit, we say it. The Holy Spirit is what it does. And Scripture makes it very clear throughout the Old Testament that the Holy Spirit is a he. It's a personified. He's not a flesh, but he responds just as we would in the flesh. He is a Part of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father, but all three of them are God. And so we have this idea of the Trinity, and the Holy Spirit is the third part of the Trinity. He's a person, he has intelligence, he has feelings, he has a will, he possesses a mind, and he's able to teach people. That sounds like a person. He is to be obeyed, can be lied to, can be resisted, grieved, blasphemed, and even insulted. So the Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus will refer to him as he. But he's also God. He has the attributes of those that belong only to God. And his actions are those that only God can perform. He was um, present on the day of creation. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was there. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. The word spirit in the Old Testament is the, the, the word ruach. And you've got to kind of hack when you say the last of that, ruach. And it's found a lot of times in the Old Testament. It's translated many times to spirit, wind, breath, inspiration, heart. I mean, there's just a bunch of different translations of it. But we get the sense of the Spirit's act and movement in the Old Testament as like air moving. And sometimes air moving um, in a considerable force from one place to the other. So imagine at the beginning at creation, over the darkness was the Spirit of God just powerfully moving back and forth. Right? That's the, the power and the impression you get of the Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit would sometimes come on people for certain tasks, give them the ability to do something that they weren't able to do on their own. We see that over and over in the Old Testament. And he actually was in a couple of people that it's mentioned in Scripture. Pharaoh noticed that Joseph had the Spirit of God in him. It also says that Daniel had the Spirit of God in him. He was able to interpret the dreams. And so that's the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, he was at work and very powerful in the Old Testament. Right? And so Jesus comes in. And he begins to talk to his disciples in the upper room, and he begins to introduce to them, if you will, or to describe to them what is going to be coming after Jesus ascends into heaven. Now, what prompted this whole thing, it's been on my mind for like three or four weeks, was a few weeks ago I made this comment that one day, isn't it going to be cool, we get to heaven, and we're going to look for Moses. Maybe you will, maybe you'll look for somebody else, but I'm thinking, Moses, dude, you got to tell me, what was it like to part the Red Sea? What was it like to walk through on dry ground? I mean, the fish are floating there next to you. What was that like, Moses? That would have been so cool. And then you find David. David, dude, you got to tell me, what was it like to kill like a lion with your bare hands? What was it like to take the stone out of your, 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 your bag there and sling it at that giant and kill him? David, that was amazing. What was that like? And then we might find Peter and go, Peter, i got so many questions. But specifically, what was it like to throw your foot over the boat in the water and walk on water? And while that might be a cool idea to just ask these Old Testament great saints what it was like, wouldn't it be 
interesting if they turned around and said to us, hey, guys, we didn't experience what you did. What was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? Sadly, I think a lot of us would say, nah, it's cool. I think we missed the point. They could turn to us and say, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit of God living in you? So let's join Jesus in the upper room. Chapter 14, Jesus is in the upper room with his disciples. He's washed their feet. They've shared the meal. He's speaking to them. He said, I'm going to go away and I will return to you. And then he goes into this dialogue about the Holy Spirit for the next two chapters. The first time he really goes into depth about the Holy Spirit. The first time in John 3, it's Nicodemus, but that's kind of one-on-one. And another time, Jesus talks about living water, and he's speaking of the Spirit there. But right here, he starts to break it down, and he says in verse 15, um, verse, chapter 14, verse 15, if you want to follow along. If you love me, obey my commandments. Some translations will say, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. Say another So the idea is something that's similar to, and so Jesus, while he was on the earth, he was loving on, he was advocating, he was comforting his disciples, and he says, I'm going to ask the Father, he will send you another advocate. Now in the New Testament, this is parakletos, which is similar to the comforter, the advocate. He says he will never leave you. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. No, I will not abandon you as orphans. I will come to you. Soon the world will uh, no longer see me, but you will see me. Since I live, you also will live. But I am, when I'm raised to life again, uh, you will know that I'm in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. And because they love me, my Father will love them, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Verse 23, he says, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, verse 26, but when the Spirit, or when, excuse me, when the Father sends the advocate as my representative, that is the Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I have told you. I'm leaving you a gift, a peace of mind and heart, and the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give, so don't be troubled or afraid. Remember what I've told you. I'm going away, but I will come back to you. If you really love me, you'd be happy that I'm going to the Father who is greater than I am. And so as I was looking through this first part of this dialogue, Jesus speaking of the the Holy Spirit, I I wanted to point out five things. And there's so many that I I can't cram them in to just one service. So this will probably be part one, part two next week as we look at the helper, our best friend. Um, Jesus begins with the promise. The promise that when he goes away, the Holy Spirit will take his place. He will come and he will be with them. And so, first off, notice what he says about this Holy Spirit. In verse 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never, say never. He will never leave you. So this Holy Spirit that's going to be coming is going to stay with them all the time. And that's comforting to know that there's someone that will never, ever leave. If you had good friends in your life that have left you, you understand the pain of that. But he says, hey, this new best friend, this Holy Spirit, this helper, this advocate will never leave you. 
In fact, in Ephesians 4.30, Paul says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, which you have been sealed until the day of redemption with. And what he's saying is like when you placed your faith in Christ, you were sealed with the precious Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. That is when Christ returns again at the end of all things. And so he's with us forever. In the Old Testament, the Spirit would leave some. Samson was a man who was filled with the Spirit at times, and it says the Spirit left him. King Saul, it said, the Spirit left him. And so it would stand the reason for us today what happens when we sin. Does anybody in the room sin? All right, now we're going to talk about lying because the reality is, is all of us sin, right? We all sin. And because we sin, I think sometimes we might go, what about now? Is the Holy Spirit going to leave me because I have sinned? And the question is, becomes like, how did he get there in the first place? The Holy Spirit moves into our lives whenever we place our faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and keep this in mind, it's not because you were good enough, right? It's because Jesus was good enough. It is by his righteousness that we are saved. Because of his righteousness and goodness, the Holy Spirit comes. So the Holy Spirit comes when we are saved. And so the evidence then of our salvation is the presence of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if the Holy Spirit were to leave us, it would mean that we would lose our salvation. I was raised this way. Um, every time I sinned, every time I slipped up, I was always worried, am I going to heaven today? I mean, I was yesterday. And so it just gave me this roller coaster of emotions. And can I just tell you, that's not good news. And so I believe there are two inseparable doctrines, and that is the doctrine of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit along with eternal security of the believer. If the Holy Spirit of God is in you, that is, if you're genuinely a believer, he's in you, he's in you forever until the day of redemption. Amen? So that's the first thing. The next one it says is he will lead us in the truth. Verse 17, he is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. Now, truth instead of error. Uh, I'm looking for a good leader. I need someone to lead me. There's a lot of Error and there's a lot of noise out there today in our world, and I just need someone to lead me into truth. Well, what is that truth? That's the big problem in our world today. Everybody's got their version of truth. Hey, don't tell me that what I believe is wrong. You can believe what you want to believe, but if I want to believe I'm one thing and you want to believe another thing, that's your prerogative. Do that. And the reality is, is there's just this existentialism of truth. Everybody's got their own version of it, but what is the ultimate standard of truth? I believe it's God's word. For those of us who place our faith in Christ, we're like, we know his word is truth. Jesus, in his prayer to his father, said, Father, sanctify them by your truth. And then he says, your word is truth. We have to know that this word, the word of God, is the ultimate standard of truth for all believers. Amen? So as a believer, I can't say, well, this, it may be truth to you, but for me, my Jesus does this, and my Jesus would never do that, and my Jesus thinks it's okay to do this. And like, You don't get your own version of Jesus. There's one Jesus, and there's one truth, and it's the Word of God, right? So the Holy Spirit will always lead us into truth, and that is comforting to know as, as well. He is the Spirit of truth, 1516 says. And in 16, uh, we read it a moment ago. It says, when the Father sends the Holy Spirit as my representative, or the advocate as my representative, he will teach you everything and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. So he will lead us into truth. Notice something else it says about the Holy Spirit. Verse uh, 17, uh, the second part of that says, the world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him. 
and doesn't recognize him. So the Holy Spirit is not tangible that people can see him, the world can see him. And it says they're not receiving him because they don't look for him and they don't know him. And so the Holy Spirit is exclusive only to the Christian faith. The Holy Spirit is exclusive only to those who place their faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The question is, does everybody in the world have the Holy Spirit? The answer is a big emphatic no. Could you imagine what this world would be like if everyone possessed the Holy Spirit of God in them? We'd have a whole lot more unity, a lot less dissension and division and hate. But the reality is, is not everyone possesses the Holy Spirit. Only those, only those who've placed their faith in uh, the gospel. So it is exclusive. And he includes us as the Gentiles. Paul in Ephesians is talking about the Jews. But then he says, and now you Gentiles. Guess what? You're a Gentile. I'm a Gentile. And he says, you Gentiles have also heard the truth. The good news that God saves you, that is the gospel, and when you believed in Christ, that is when you placed your trust in Christ, he says he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify God. So what Paul's saying is like when you believed the gospel, when you believed in Christ, God identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit, the seal of the Holy Spirit for those who believe. So the Holy Spirit is exclusive to those who place their faith in Jesus. To be a true Christian is to have the Holy Spirit in you, to have the Holy Spirit present with you. A fourth thing that I want us to notice he says, <clears throat> I will give, he'll bring another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit who leads in the truth. The whole world uh, cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now. This is Jesus talking to the disciples in the upper room. The Holy Spirit is present, but he says, and later will be in you. Now that takes things to a whole nother level, Right? He says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's not going to just hang out with you like a good friend would, but he's going to take up residence in you. Did you know that if you're a believer today, when you woke up this morning, the Holy Spirit woke up in you? Do you know that when you go to lunch, the Holy Spirit goes to lunch with you? Do you know that when you go to work on Monday at a job that you can't stand, that the Holy Spirit goes to work with you? Do you know that when you click on that internet link, that the Holy Spirit goes with you? That should be a challenging thought for us, right? Do you know that when you respond to that conflict or that person that offended you, that the Holy Spirit is in you, you carry him everywhere you go? The reality is to be a follower of Christ is to have the Holy Spirit of God indwelling within each one of the, the believers. Paul lays it out in First and Second Corinthians. He says, do you not know that your body, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit of God that lives in you? So it's internal. That's personal, isn't it? Jesus said that's the promise. That's what's coming. The Holy Spirit will be in you. And lastly, and number five, uh, I said lastly, but for today, it says he's the teacher. When he comes, he will, he will teach you everything, and he will remind you of everything that I have told you. The disciples spent three years with Jesus, and Jesus had told them a lot of things. And he says, hey, when the Spirit comes, here's what he's going to do. He's going to teach you all things. There's going to be a lot of error. There's going to be a lot of Antichrist out there. But the Holy Spirit's going to teach you all things. And he's going to remind you of what I, Jesus, have said to you. 
What a cool promise. But you know that's still true for us today. If you've placed your faith in the gospel of Jesus and you're his disciple, he says the Holy Spirit will remind you of what Jesus has said. What has Jesus said? I wasn't there in the room to hear it. Thankfully for all of us, we have a recorded document called the Word of God that tells us what Jesus said. Amen? And so when I'm in a pickle and I'm like, I don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, how should I respond right now? My wife just went off the rails on me. How do I respond to that? Because how many of you know the flesh is almost automatic all the time? But Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to that? I get this business situation coming up, and I really don't know what to do. Holy Spirit, how would you? And so it's like the Holy Spirit goes, hey, let me remind you of something that Jesus said about that. And so he just reminds us over and over and over of the words of Christ. And I would say that we need to know what Jesus says by reading his word in order for the Holy Spirit to remind us. But here's what I believe of the Holy Spirit. I believe he is powerful enough to remind us of stuff that we forgot we read. I forget everything. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a situation where I say, God, I don't know what to say. Um, I'm not even prepared to do what I need to do. I've got to have this conversation. Would you please just fill me up and let me speak what I need to speak? And over and over and over, it's amazing how they'll bring things to my mind. He'll say, Shane, just say this. Shane, just remember this verse. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He teaches us. He reminds us of what Jesus said. First John John's warning about Antichrist. There's going to be a lot of fooling people in the last days. And he says, there's many Antichrists that are already there. And he says, you're not like that, for the Holy One has given you his spirit, and all of you know the truth. So I'm writing to you not because you don't know the truth, but because you know the difference between truth and lies. He goes on to say in verse 27, but you have received the Holy Spirit and he lives within you so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true for the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know and what he teaches is true, it's not a lie. Isn't it comforting to know that God's Spirit dwells within us and he teaches us what is true, that we don't have to be fooled by error, that the Holy Spirit guides us in that? So that was the promise of Jesus And then Jesus is crucified, buried, raised again. He ascends into heaven. And in Acts chapter 2, we we can't go into all of it because it's uh, for time. But And the train's wearing me out, but that's a side point. Listen to this. The Holy Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost. They're all together. The Holy Spirit comes. And they begin speaking in different languages. It's not a prayer language. This is languages that people understood if they were from that different region. They said, these guys are Galilean. They're Jews. Why are they speaking my own home native language? And it was the reversal of the Tower of Babel when he confused all the languages. All of a sudden, they could understand each other. There was that miracle. And then it says, Peter, who was once denying Christ, stands up with this great boldness like never before. And he preaches a sermon, and 3,000 people get saved. That's pretty powerful, right? And then it says, of that church, it says, the believers form a community. Listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, and to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. Devoted to those things. Not just if it works out, if it's convenient, but it's like they were devoted to these things. It says, a deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. That's crazy. That's radical. 
It's like the Holy Spirit was in them, and there was just something about them in community that says, what's mine is yours. If you need it, you can have it, right? They shared everything. It says they worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in their homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals with great joy and generosity. And that's just the beginning of this radical transformation of the church after the Holy Spirit comes. So so to bring this back to full circle, I want to raise the question again for us, if it's the same gospel, the same God, the same Holy Spirit, the same promise, and here we are today. And we get many people who say, hey, I'm a Christian, but yet we live our lives sometimes as though we don't even know the truth about Christianity. And I don't say that to be ugly and mean, but the reality is is a lot of people say, hey, I'm a Christian and anything goes. I'm like, you keep using that word, but I don't think it means what you think it means. Right? And so we're tempted to look at the church today in a time when we need the church like never before to be the hands and the feet of Christ, to show the power of the Holy Spirit in them, working through all of this junk in our world. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Would you agree? Because what we're dealing with, we can't handle with flesh, right? We go to war and we, I'm going to get on the internet and I'm going to tell you what I think. You can't win the battle with words. The battles that we're waging are spiritual battles and we need some more power than what we're able to take care of. We need to be able to aim at things that we'll never be able to do in our own. And we know that God has placed his stamp of approval on the church. He said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the church... If we're honest, and the world looking at the church might say, where's the beef? You say you're, you believe in God? You say that you're spirit-filled, that the Holy Spirit lives in you? Where's the proof? Where's the evidence of that? And so I think it's time for us to refocus. It's time for us to take a fresh look at the Holy Spirit and not to... Leave him on the shelf over here. Hey, let's just let's don't talk Holy Spirit because things get weird when we do. Not there and not to get all crazy. Hey, come down from the rafters. Quit doing all the crazy stuff and just look at the power and the presence of what the Holy Spirit is doing or can do in our lives when we yield and submit to him. To refocus and to consider, you know what? I need a new best friend. Parents, we know how important it is for the people that our kids hang out with, don't we? We always say, hey, you are the company you keep. Be careful who you're hanging out with. Bad company corrupts good character. And sometimes we need to tell them, hey, you need to find a new friend. Have you ever done that before? You need to find a new friend. I think maybe sometimes we need to look in the mirror and say, hey, Shane, where's the beef? Maybe I need a new best friend. And that best friend is the Holy Spirit. He's with me forever. He's always going to lead me into truth. He's there when I believe. He's internal. It's personal. Right? Everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit goes with me. And he's going to teach me, remind me of the words of Christ. I need more of that in my life. Do you? My wife and I went to Colorado last week to officiate a wedding. Had a great time. And God just really was impressing on my heart to revisit a book that I had read several years ago. So we downloaded it on Audible and listened to it on the way up there and back. And I was just like, yes, yes, it's what we need. It's what we need. And, and, and I want to encourage you, if you get time to pick it up and read it, it's a book by Francis Chan. And it's called Forgotten God. That's what he's talking about. I feel like it's a very balanced approach to the subject of the Holy Spirit. So I was thinking about this. God, what do do we need to hear as a church? We need to revisit the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not be afraid. But here's the reality. The Holy Spirit is always going to call us out of our comfort zone, right? I'm convinced of this. 
Because the flesh is always going to want to do what the flesh wants to do. And the spirit's going to say, no, 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 no. I know that's what you want to do, but here's what I want you to do. And it gets uncomfortable sometimes. I'm kind of busy, God. I ain't got time for that. No, no, no. I want you to stop and help that person. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I don't want to forgive. You don't know what they did. Jesus is like, please. You know what they did to my son? As I have forgiven you, you forgive them. Holy Spirit's going to call us to do some things that are uncomfortable. So I would say this. There's this idea of repentance, and I know I'm going over, but I'm hoping you're hanging with me. Acts 2.38, Peter said, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God. And there's this very important thing. And, And notice that Jesus said this over and over and over again. He says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you keep my commands, it proves that you love me. And so this idea of repentance, and I think some people are cool. It's like, yeah, I'd like a little bit of the Holy Spirit, but we want to mix it with what we already have. And it's like having a room, or excuse me, a house with a bunch of rooms, and it's like saying, hey, I want to keep all of my junk and all of my vices and all of my fun pet sins and all that stuff, but I would love for the Holy Spirit to move on in too. Mm -mm, It doesn't work that way. To, To say, Holy Spirit, I want you to move in, and here's what I want you to do. You know that closet that's locked with a padlock and with a chain and a deadbolt? I want to give you access, and if there's anything in me that doesn't honor God and glorify God, I want to give you free reign. You bring it to the light, and let's deal with it. That's what repentance is. It's to turn from sin. Amen? So I think for some of us, the first step is like, God, I just got to confess. I've been dealing with a lot of stuff lately in the flesh, and I've been not operating according to what your word tells me to do. And frankly, I've been ignoring the Holy Spirit's guidance in my life. Now, Holy Spirit never leaves us, but we can absolutely affect his effectiveness by our sin in our lives. And so I would say, Start by repenting of sins and saying, Lord, here I am. I trust you. I want your Holy Spirit to have access. And consider him your new best friend. And it's impossible to be a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So you need to know this. If you're a follower of Christ, genuinely, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. That's powerful. Do you know that? That's powerful, right? So since he's your new best friend and it's personal, spend time. Get to know him. How do you get to know someone? You spend time with them. Amen? You spend a lot of time with them. And so here's what I want to challenge you with is just take your Bible this week and open to John 14 and read 14, 15, and 16. All of that in context and just hear Jesus sharing with us who the Holy Spirit is and what the Holy Spirit's role is and how he is going to work in our lives. Get to know him by spending time. Since he's your new best friend and he's God, I would say ask him for guidance. Man, we could all stop right there before we respond to certain things going on. We could just push the pause button and say, okay, this is a tough one, God. I know what Shane wants to do, but what do you want me to do? And I think most of the time it's going to be the opposite of what Shane wants to do, just being honest with you. Don't come to me in a day when I'm not walking in the spirit and offend me because you might get the right hand of fellowship. No, just playing. But the reality is we need to ask him for guidance, not just generally, but in specific areas, events, responses to things that go on. I'm just convinced of this. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to this email? How do you want me to respond to this phone call, this accusation, or this ugly, you know, offense? How do you want me to do this? Open our checkbook or open your online bank account. Holy Spirit, how do you want me to guide my affairs financially? All those things. Ask him. And then most importantly, I think this is something that we miss. Obey him. Jesus says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do what I say? And so we can't miss this point when the Holy Spirit is going to lead us in the truth. And he says, hey, this is what I want you to do. Then we need to take a step of faith and be obedient to what he leads us to do. And when we do that, church, I believe it's transforming 
in the church, in our families, in our community, in our schools. We need more of this transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Do you agree with that? I'm not talking about crazy. I'm not talking about just the, the frilly stuff. I'm talking about legit, like, Holy Spirit, I need you. I mean, some of this stuff is so difficult. I can't do it on my own. To you seniors that are fixing to start a new chapter of your life, we need a next generation of people who are hungry for the guidance and the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They respond, not as the world responds, but they just say, God, here I am. I surrender it all. I'm yours. What do you want me to do? What would this world look like if we truly grabbed a hold of that? What, what would our schools look like, our families? How crazy would that be? I think there's a word for that. That's radical. I think it'd be pretty radical, don't you? Our world needs it. So, I ask you the question. When you go home and you consider what we talked about today, and I'll wrap it up. You look in the mirror and you say to yourself, Self, where's the beef? Where's the beef? You call yourself a follower of Christ. Where's the proof of that? Where's, where's the beef? Where's the evidence, right, for that fact, that claim? I want to see more of that in you. Again, in the mirror, talking to self, I want to see more of that in you. And then begin by saying, Holy Spirit, I just want to give you a free reign in my life. I want you to direct me. I want you to guide me. I want you to reveal to me the areas that I've been disobedient in the past. And if I've grieved you, Holy Spirit, because that's possible, would you forgive me of that sin and help me to get up and walk in a way that's going to honor you. Because I think it makes a huge difference and impact in the world that we're around. When we submit to the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so I would say this. The most important decision you make is to place your faith in Christ. You can't walk this walk in a way that honors him without the Holy Spirit. So the most important thing is to say, God, I trust in you. And you alone. And I'm following you. And I believe in you. And know that he says, he promises that he'll give you this advocate, this helper, this new best friend. I hope that everyone in the room has already nailed that down in their life. But more importantly for those of us who have, I, I pray that we really get it, understand and embrace this teaching on the Holy Spirit and welcome his presence in our lives. Father, we thank you for your teaching and your word. And God, we have to confess that <clears throat> there's a lot of things that we do in life that we just go on autopilot. We just take care of it on our own. Lord, I'm guilty of it, just like everybody else is guilty of it. Somebody says something that offends me in my flesh. I, I am very quick-witted, and I can say something very quickly that cuts to the bone. And, Lord, I know that it's not right. And so I confess that to you, and I ask that you'll forgive us for operating outside of your direction, your leadership, your will. Um, I pray that you would help us to be sensitive, to take a fresh look at your role in our own lives personally, to see you as best friend. God, thank you for that promise. Thank you for that gift that is with us forever until the day you come and call us home. Lord, thank you so much for the promise of your Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that one day when we stand in heaven in your presence and the presence of all these greats that we talk about, that when they ask us, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit living in you? God, that we just beam and get excited about what we've seen and experienced in our own lives and be able to share our story too. Lord, at the end of the day, it's not for our glory. It's not that we can puff ourselves up with pride or show, uh, put a spotlight on us. But, God, it's for your glory and for your praise only. Lord, you're the only one worthy. So, Father, I pray that you would just help us to just stick in our hearts and our minds and marinate. And, Lord, that we would move into action on that. We humbly ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.